0: open up to Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. I'm going to read that in just a moment, so if you just want to keep your thumb there, we'll read that together. But I want you to be in your Bibles. That's such a huge part of, of, of Cornerstone, uh, of our church, I think, in particular. It's like a hallmark of who we are uh, just we love God's Word. And so when you come to church here, you are going to hear a Bible sermon, Bible-based sermon. And uh, I just, I love that. I love that. I know that's why you're here, too, a big part of why you're here. So, so for the last several weeks, uh, you have been in a, with us in a series called Heart of a Family. You have been with us in a series called Heart of a Family. And, and we've been talking about the different components or the building blocks that make up a healthy family, And in particular, we're talking about the family, uh, a family of God, right? That's what we're talking about. Because believe it or not, if you look around the room right now, this is your family. We are family in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So I know that we live our lives separately from one another throughout the week, and so it's easy to lose sight of it, but we are family. And we're learning more and more how to have the heart of a family and that's what this series was designed to do, was to help get us to this place where we can grow um, the heart of our family, the family here at Cornerstone. So we're going to continue uh, in that series today. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and we're going to discuss the all-important aspect of all of our families of serving. <laughs> yes. I knew it. I knew you were going to be thrilled about that. So uh, we need you to serve, right? That's what you're expecting now. Well, I don't want to misuse the text that we're going to look at. I think that we'll let God's Word speak for itself. Uh, but I know this is, this is one of those subjects that you're like, if you ask me to sign up for one more thing, you know, you're busy people, right? You're busy people. But I think that you'll find uh, that serving is a critical and key component to the heart of a family. And it's, it's a key component to who we are as individuals, right? That we should be people who serve and love one another well. Why? Why? Because Christ served us so well. Have you ever thought about it that way? I don't, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it uh, that way before, but I want you to consider with me that Christ has served you. You've been served by Christ. Do you realize that? You probably feel a little bit uncomfortable with that statement because you're like, no, 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 no. But he has, and you have to be willing to accept that. You know, you have to be willing to embrace the reality that you have been served by God through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to this world and who gave his life for you and I. Right, And that's what he says. He tells us that he came to our world right, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, serving. We're going to be looking at serving from this passage. So like I already said, today happens to be Family Sunday. And so I thought this works perfectly because in our families that we live at home with, hopefully this is something that we have all perfected and do well that we would serve each other so well. We do that so great, don't we, as families? Now, I was talking to a mom this past week, and, and, and I, I think she and her husband have done a great job at raising their children. It's crazy though, you can do everything right and, and things sometimes just go off the rails. I don't know why that is, but I talked to a, a mom and uh, she shared with me uh, some of the stuff that she did to, to kind of help her kids, raise her kids successfully, whatever that, that looks like, but they're, they love the Lord and that's all of our hearts and all of our desires for our kids, that they would love the Lord. And one of the things that she said that they, they implemented in their home was they had skin in the game. Right? They had to learn how to serve one another and serve each other. And they took ownership of their home together. And I thought that's a great thing, you know? Not in my home, not like in my home when I was a kid. I got I had excuses for everything. Am I right? You had excuses, I'm sure, that there's these excuses that we come up with to get out from under serving one another. We, we we're so good at this. And it's no different from our homes to the church, right? We have so many good excuses, don't we? so many good excuses for why we can't serve, or whatever it might be, or, or why we don't attend regularly. So I thought I, would, uh, I thought I would look up some of the excuses that people came up with as to why they don't come to church regularly. And some of them make sense, but a few in here are a little odd. So here we go. So the first is that it's the only day that I can sleep in, right? It's the only day I can sleep in. That's why I don't go to church, because I, I, I need my beauty sleep. And we do, don't we? You know? So some people come up with this excuse that it's the only day that they can sleep in. You know some people have said that it's easier for them to have church in the outdoors. Their excuse is that nature is their church between them and God. Doesn't seem biblical to me, but That's what they think. They think that that the great outdoors is their version of church. Here's an odd one. Ready? So so this is a legitimate excuse uh, that somebody came up with as to why they didn't go to church. They ran out of peanut butter. I have no idea. I I have no idea how that would impact your ability to come to church or not. And and here's one that I think I can see how it makes sense. It said that uh, the pastor is too good looking. I thought, well, that. That makes sense. I could see how that could be a distraction for some people. Um, so, but today, if you're listening and if you are a kid or a student or if you're an adult and you're looking for an excuse to get out of serving, I got the perfect excuse for you. I actually thought about this and I thought, you know what? I'm going to give you the only legitimate excuse to get out from serving in the body of Christ. But I'm going to give it to you at the end, all right? So you have to listen, and by the time that we get done uh, today, I'm going to give you the only legitimate excuse for you and me to get out from under the responsibility of serving. My goal, though, is that as we look at this passage in Galatians, is that by the time that we get there, you won't want to use it. So that's my goal, all right? So together, let's read from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And here's what it says For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's it. Very short passage, but I think a very deep passage. And that's the thing I love about God's word is that we can read God's word over and over and over again, and we'll never be able to learn everything we can. It's just going to be this lifelong journey of studying God's Word. And so this is a really awesome passage, and it teaches us a lot, even though it's so short. And you know, it's really important that when you prepare to preach a sermon, uh, or when you prepare to give a message, that you preach the tone of the, the Bible. That you preach the tone of that, that Paul used to write in. So there was a certain tone, and you can kind of get a little bit of that tone if you back up just a few verses to the beginning uh, of chapter 5, and Paul talks about how it is for freedom that you have been set free. And if you go throughout the book of Galatians and you read it, what you'll learn pretty quickly and pretty early on is that Paul is being pretty intense, And he's got some pretty harsh things to say to the Galatian church. This is a church of new believers who have recently given their life to Jesus. And there are people among them who are trying to cut in on their faith and trying to cause them to believe in a false gospel. And it looks as though some of them are actually giving into it. And he's warning them, don't do it, because it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't give in to this group of false teachers who are causing you to believe in a false gospel by trying to keep all of the rules and the commands, the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. Don't give in to it. Don't put yourself back in slavery. You just left slavery to your sinful nature and now you're gonna put yourself back in slavery by becoming legalistic and trying to keep all of the rules and try to prove to yourself why you are good enough for God's favor and God's love. And so Paul is being really serious here because he realizes that they're at risk of 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 giving up on the gospel that they received that set them free. So when we, when we hear this passage that it is for freedom, that Christ has set us free, it's lost on us a little bit because we're Americans, right? And when we hear freedom, we just get so excited. We think trucks, we think American flags, we think hot dogs, we think, I don't know. And, and we think we have an idea of what freedom is, but we actually have no idea what freedom is. We love the idea of freedom, but we don't actually know what freedom is looks like. And so Paul is trying to help the Galatian church, and consequently you and I this morning, understand what true freedom looks like, what real freedom looks like. So let's talk about freedom and what Paul means when he talks about freedom in this passage. Did you know that there's actually two enemies that Paul is kind of attacking here in the book of Galatians? There's two enemies, and those enemies are legalism and license. Legalism and license, you have to consider, again, that this is a rough group of people that Paul is dealing with, right? This, this is a rough group of people. It's, it's a Roman city, the city of the churches of Galatia. It's been kind of taken over control by Rome, but it's comprised of a group of indigenous people and Roman citizens, and actually I found the Celts. How cool is that? Like the people who like settled over in Scotland, made their way over, all the way far east as Turkey. And so this is a rough group of people, right? Who have given their life to Christ and been transformed by the gospel and set free from their sinful desires. Set free from their sinful desires. And, and Paul is now talking about the freedom that they've received in Christ, freedom from their flesh, And he's talking about freedom so much that people start to get concerned, the Judaizers they're called, that if Paul keeps talking about this freedom thing, they're not going to change their behavior. They're going to continue to do those things that they're not supposed to do. They're going to continue to live in bondage to their sinful desires, and they're never going to clean up their act. I bet you if I went around this room and asked you your testimony, some of you would have a testimony that's similar to this, that God saved you from a pretty rough past, right? And then you came to know Jesus, and you forget what it is that God did in your life. And so now when somebody walks into church with a hat on their head, you think, oh, how dare they wear a hat in the house of God, you know? And we start to, we start to forget that, that, you know, we've all been saved from our sinful desires, and we forget that it's this work in progress that God is doing in our hearts. And we, we quickly move from one degree of slavery, slavery to our sinful desires, to another form of slavery where we try to keep all of the rules to show other people just how holy we are. And if you don't act and look and talk the same way that I act or talk or look, you mustn't be a Christian. And that's what Paul is trying to combat here. They're trying to put these rules and these regulations on the Galatian church to clean up their act so they don't go on continuing to look like the worldly pagans look, right? And Paul addresses both. He addresses both, but he's attacking this idea that, you know, this idea of slavery either to our sinful desires or slavery to the keeping of the law. You would think that this probably doesn't happen today, right? That this, this dynamic doesn't happen. But did you know, and some of you would be familiar, back in the 60s and 70s, during that whole like hippie movement, you know what I'm talking about? I know you all know. Some of you know what I'm talking about better than others of us. Um, but there was this movement of these hippies who were free and they were against the government. They were against the establishment, that sort of thing. But at the same time that was happening, there was a movement within Christianity known as the Jesus Movement or the Holiness Movement, which was an extreme form of legalism. It's, it's where ladies couldn't wear dresses that were higher than their ankles. They were expected to wear dresses down to their ankles, their hair up, no makeup. You couldn't go to movie theaters or bowling alleys. For goodness sakes, as a kid, this made its way all the way up to my childhood. I couldn't play Pokemon I'm scarred by that, you know? But it's all of these rules and all of these rules that we put in place to try and show other people just how perfect and holy and religious we are. And so really what happens is that we're at danger when we become saved from moving from one form of slavery where we realize just how much we were trapped in our sinful desires to now suddenly trying to be holy so that we can look down our noses at other people and prove to others just how perfect we are. And so, yeah, this does happen. So then, if we are free, how should we use our freedoms? How should we use our freedoms? And for this message, I want to define freedom as the responsible use of liberty. Freedom is the responsible use of liberty. Paul understood the very real danger that Christians could abuse their freedom, and as a result, they could lose the very freedom that they received in Christ by putting themselves back in bondage to their sinful desires. But he also understood that by trying to keep the whole law of God, you could find yourself in bondage as well by becoming legalistic. So Paul helps us to understand how we should use our freedom. And the first way that Paul tells us to use our freedom is actually a negative. It's that we aren't to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh that we shouldn't use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And we already touched on this a bit, but the idea here is that our newfound freedom in Christ shouldn't be used selfishly. And you can almost hear Paul saying this, like, come on, people. Like, I shouldn't have to explain this to you. I shouldn't have to help you understand that you shouldn't take advantage of your freedoms. But we love doing that, don't we? We love taking advantage of the freedom that we have. I'll give you a classic example of this. Is it okay for Christians to curse? (gasps) Is it okay for Christians to curse? After all, I'm free, aren't I? I'm free. And it's just a word. It's not really that big of a deal. And, And because of my freedom, I can do whatever I want. And Paul says, okay, if you're so smart, if you've got this figured out, prove it by exercising restraint. If you're as free as you say you are, use that freedom to exercise restraint and show maturity. Don't take advantage of your freedom, but use it responsibly so that you can show the world the example that Christ set for you and I. Because when our freedoms are abused to the point that we allow them to become a license for us to do whatever we want, We actually run the risk of putting ourselves back in slavery to our flesh. And I know you know what I'm talking about, because we do it all of the time. And so that's the first way that Paul tells us to use our freedoms, is by not using them for an opportunity for our flesh. So then, how does Paul advocate that we guard ourselves against falling into one form of slavery or another? How do we prevent ourselves from falling into slavery to our sinful desires or getting caught up in becoming legalistic? How do we guard ourselves against that? And it's a crazy idea because Paul says that we should voluntarily and out of love serve and become slaves one to another. How cool is that? That you should willfully and choose, you should willfully choose to put yourself into a relationship with one another where instead of serving yourself, you serve each other. Could you imagine if we were a church that served each other like that? If we were a church who didn't take advantage of our rights for ourselves, but used the freedoms that we have to care for one another. Next week, Pastor Tim is going to be talking about love And that's the key to the Christian walk, but I don't want to go into that too deeply because I want to make sure to leave room for him to talk about that. But it's out of love that we have to learn how to serve one another. And so now this is the part where I could get up here and say, so what we need you to do is on your way out, sign up at the Next Steps area for nursery, right? But that would be a misuse and it would minimize the significance of what real service is looks like? What does it really look like to serve others? And if you want to know what the picture of true service looks like, I want to call you back to remembering what I asked you at the beginning. Have you ever considered the fact that Christ has served you? That Jesus has served you? And one of the pictures we get of Jesus serving so sacrificially is found in John chapter 13, when he washed the disciples' feet, even Judas' feet, who he knew was going to betray him. That's what real service looks like. It looks like serving others, even when it might be of no advantage to us. It looks like serving others, even if we know that that person is talking about us behind our back even if they betray us, that we serve others, that we allow ourselves to be so inconvenienced by others that we serve them the same way that Christ served and washed the feet of his disciples. If I had to guess, though, if we were in that room, we'd probably respond the way that Peter responded, wouldn't we? That if Jesus was here right now and he said, take off your shoes, I'm going to wash your feet, you would say, I haven't clipped my toenails in weeks and one of them's ingrown. You can't touch my feet, Jesus. You can't touch my nasty feet. Well, he touched your nasty sin. And so if you're embarrassed about Jesus washing your feet just like Peter was, haven't you considered that Jesus stepped down out of heaven to serve you by bearing the gross, nastiness, disgusting nature of your sin on the cross? He has served you. And you have to actually consider that He has, because by believing in what He did on the cross, it's what moves us to a place where we can follow His example. And out of love, we can serve one another. And that's what sets us free from bondage to our sinful nature and bondage to becoming legalistic. The example of Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So I told you initially that I would give you an out, right? I told you that if you followed with me along the way, that I would give you and provide for you an excuse to get you out of needing to serve your family and to serve in particular your church family. And here it is, okay? But I really hope that you don't need to use it because the only legitimate excuse that you have and I have to get out of serving comes from a lack of love in your heart and the reality that you don't consider us to be a part of your family. Oof. That if you look around the room that you see people who you're like, I don't really know if I want them to be in my family. And it comes from a lack of love in our heart. And to be fair, I don't think that's what you're thinking I don't think that that's what a majority of you believe. And I know that sounds a bit extreme, but that's why I'm saying it's the only legitimate excuse. The only legitimate excuse is that you have not been changed or transformed by the gospel and the love displayed for us on the cross by Christ. Because if you have been changed by Jesus, transformed by the gospel message, you don't have a legitimate excuse not to serve And whatever excuse you are using is preventing you from accomplishing the good works that God has called you to. You know, a huge component of this comes from a heart of love. And if you're not serving, you are using then your liberty and your freedom as a license. You're taking advantage of your freedoms. And if you feel like you need to serve to prove just how holy you are, then you've erred on the side of becoming legalistic. But if you've been transformed by the power of the gospel, if you've been changed by the example set forth by Christ for us on the cross, if you understand just how much God has loved you and served you, not just washing your feet, but washing away your sins, if you would understand that, you couldn't help but out of love serve one another. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of your son, Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God, we are that many. We are those people who you came to serve. And Lord, we often don't consider it, but it's true. God, you have served us by giving your life for us, by bearing our sins on the cross, and forgiving us, Lord, so that when you see us, Lord, you don't see our sin any longer. You have washed us clean, God. And Lord, if we understand that, Lord, I pray that we would stop making excuses as to why we can't serve. But Lord, out of love, I pray that you would help us to serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.